Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we survived August. We survived the dead times for NHL and hockey as a whole. Um, and now we're into September and nothing's happened yet. <laughs> it's the I know. Line. I, I miss hockey so much. I thought maybe some news would start to arrive as September happened, but no, we, we don't have a training camp schedule yet. Uh, we don't really we have a, a couple minor news for, for the Kraken and the Kraken organization, but still real wait, really waiting on the meat of everything uh, and waiting for next week. We really can kind of get into those pre-training camp storyline storylines. But for the time being, not a whole lot. I I have to just try and survive on early college football. And it's not enough, Dylan. No, it's not. Um, I, I mean, I don't even know if regular football, uh, NFL football is going to be able to do it. That being said, there's plenty of other fun things going on, right? Including over at Queen Anne Beer Hall, the wonderful sponsor of this podcast, which, as I hear, RJ, is going to have a pretty big event involving a pretty big team in Seattle. They are. So I was over at the beer hall the other day. Uh, they had this like hatch chili uh, cookie thing. They, they had a little like rotisserie thing where they're putting fire on the hatch. Chili. I had to try that. So I was over at the beer hall, got the chance to talk to them. And they let me know about a really cool event that's happening on September 13th. So if you're a Mariners fan, I'm sure there are lots of Mariners fans listening to this. Uh, you'll want to hear about this. So on the 13th, the Mariners have a day game. If you look at the schedule, they do have a game that day. But that night, they're coming straight from the game to the beer hall for a fundraiser for the Okanagan Animal Shelter. Ty France is going to be there. George Kirby is going to be there. J.P. Crawford's going to be there, among others. We're going to have some Mariners players as guest bartenders. It's going to be a really great time. I hear they're bringing the Trident. I hear they're going to bring the Trident with them, too. So it'll be a great fundraiser for a great cause. I mean, heck, if you're a Mariners fan, go to the beer hall for the game. Stay after, because the players are going to show up on the 13th. So I, I had to tell you all about that event. It sounds like a really great time. It does. I mean, that's that's like one of the coolest event ideas that I think I could ever think of for something like that. Right. Like as a sports fan to, to be at a, at a bar, watch the game and then have the, the team show up afterwards. Like, what is this little league? Right. Everybody's showing up at the Pizza Hut after the game. <laughs> like like that's what this is. But it's with the Mariners. And so I'm very, very jealous. Uh, not going to be able to be up there it's a day after my surgery. Probably not going to be feeling up to going. <laughs> but uh, for everybody who can go and, and can show up, I'm sure that's going to be an incredible event. So September 13th, yep. everybody mark your calendars. And shows some of the connections that the, the beer hall has with the local sports yep. teams. And um, I'll, I'll just give a very light teaser. There's something coming later in the month as well that, that may involve a certain Kraken player. Can't say any more than that right now, uh, but stay tuned for that one. Very intriguing, RJ. Come on. That sounds like the juiciest bit of hockey news we've had in like six weeks. <laughs> it really would. Be. It really is. It really is. But uh, I'll have to wait on that one for a little bit. All right. So that's not the only uh, thing we got to talk about here at the start before we can start getting into the uh, the news and notes of the week. And then, of course, a deep dive segment. Um, the other thing that, that uh, we need to promote, RJ, it's going to be you and I defending our title as... Kraken Media Trivia Champions uh, <laughs> over there, thanks to um, thanks to Sasquatch. Why don't you tell everybody about that? 
Right. So for those of you who are following along with us around this time last year, uh, we did a trivia battle. And this is a great idea from Sasquatch at, at Sasquatch NHL on Twitter. He's got the YouTube channel. You can still check out that trivia battle last year. But he had this awesome idea to pit two Kraken podcasts against each other in a trivia battle. So it was us versus the Kraken pod. And Dylan, we came out as the winners. Yeah. And with that, we have the right to defend our title. We could choose anybody that we wanted to go and challenge. And I mean, for us, I think the choice was obvious. We had to go challenge the OGs, Sound mm -hmm. of Hockey. They were absolutely into it. I had been kind of talking with Darren about it a little bit at various Kraken games, just nudging, hey, hey, maybe you want to do this next year. And he was all about it. So we are going to challenge them. Date is still TBD. Sometime this preseason, it will happen. We got to see how Dylan's recovered from his surgery. But... We're going to take them on in a trivia battle. It'll be some hockey trivia, some Seattle trivia. Obviously, we don't know the questions, yes. uh, but they're going to have some great stuff for us. Uh, Sasquatch put out a little teaser video, which incredible, awesome graphics, by the way. Go check that out. That's on our Twitter. I mean, it's he tweeted it. We re-upped it. Go, go look at that because, I mean, if that doesn't get you hyped for this trivia battle, I don't know what will. Taking pictures of us playing hockey in our in our younger days and using it uh, with the graph. I won't spoil too much of it. Anyway, um, so big takeaway from that. Sound of Hockey is going down, by the way. Yeah, no, no question. Um, we're we're going to defend our title easy. No question. Um, so, yeah, if you're listening to this, sorry, Sound of Hockey. I mean, you know, Darren, John, you have no chance. No, no. And they, I think they know that. I was going to say, we're trying to wait and see, like, when I'm going to be able to talk post-surgery, because that's the big question, right? <laughs> and it's when I'll be able to, you know, actually participate at all. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it would be, maybe if I still had to write it on a whiteboard, but it was still, like, first one to answer, maybe that would make things a little uh, easier, you know even things out for them maybe i don't know um because yeah, yeah, i have to do that to make it fair i was gonna say yeah where this is i i feel fine this is gonna be great um yeah so really looking forward to that one again everybody time to be determined all right rj now let's get into the 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 few bits of news kraken news that did happen this past week uh where we did get a couple more player signings yes we did so the first one of those uh was devon shore uh, he is a center, kind of fourth line type of guy, uh, played with the Edmonton Oilers last season, also played five games at the Bakersfield Condors, uh, had nine points in 47 games, averaged a little over eight minutes of ice time. And this is another depth ad for the Kraken. I mean, we saw them add Pierre Edward Belmar earlier in the offseason, and they're looking to just get competition for that fourth line spot. The, the most notable thing about Shore, I think, is that he can take faceoffs. Mm -hmm. He uh, is over 50% on the dot, which I mean, wow, that uh, that is something for this team. Yes. You know, they will take guys who can do that. Um, but he adds some competition for training camp for those depth forward spots. And, and he can shift into center if need be. And so that's going to be something valuable uh, to provide. And look, I, I think he's probably going to be spending most of his time with Coachella Valley this season. It is going to be a tough roster to crack. Yes. But if they need someone to call up, someone who can be really just serviceable in that role, someone who's probably not going to light anything up on the scoreboard, could just can be really solid, the kind of player coaches love, mm -hmm. then Shore is going to fill it in there really well. Yeah, I think this is one where, look, the, the Firebirds had 
a decent amount of roster turnover. They need to fill out that roster. Um, and we've we've already talked about how crowded things look for the Kraken. I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, Devin here a lot more next week when we talk training camp storylines and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I think this was a really good bit of business for the Kraken because you do have that upside of him being able to contribute on your fourth line, help out with face-offs, you know, be a winger on either side, whatever you need from kind of a utility piece, a strong utility piece. And then on the flip side, the rest of the time can be playing in a top six role with the Firebirds and and put up points there. You know, you look at what he was able to do with Bakersfield last year, five points in five games. He's going to be someone who can help out the Firebirds a lot when he's down there with them. So I really like this signing for the crack. And it just shows, you know, Ron Francis, he never sleeps RJ and he always knows what he's doing. Yep, he's always out there looking, and we've seen over the last two years before this, too, making signings around this time, right before training camp. I think like Ryan Donato even uh, was a late signing kind of before that first season. He's always looking for talent there, uh, and uh, he lands a center there. So there was another signing. This one is definitely more of a Coachella Valley type Mm -hmm. signing, um, and that is uh, Mitch Reinke, 27-year-old defenseman from Minnesota, uh, played with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins in the AHL, for the last two seasons, uh, last season, he put up 27 points, 52 games. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, solid AHL type defenseman, like you said, there's just been a lot of turnover on this Firebirds roster. You're going to need new players to come in. Um, and, and especially on the blue line, you know, where maybe you have a Riker Evans who's spending some time in Seattle, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you need another solid defenseman there. I mean, he's, he's an AHL veteran. He's played plenty of games. Um, and he's still, you know, 27 in the prime of his career. So that's going to be a good addition for Coachella Valley as they look to compete again this year. Yeah. I can move the puck a little bit, do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, he's a solid guy. Um, should be fun watching him play, uh, down there in the Valley. That's right. All right. And that's it for news and notes. Because it's early Pretty September. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I, we promise everybody, the stuff is coming again. We, we all know it. Um, just got to survive another week or so. Um, oh, man. All right. Then uh, moving on to the deep dive segment of this week, RJ, because you know we did all of our way too early stuff last month through the month of August. Um, and this is a Kraken-focused podcast. We mostly talk about all the news with the Kraken that's the that's the focus that's why we're here right that's why we're emerald city hockey we're talking about the kraken uh but other stuff does happen around the nhl rj right believe it or not kraken aren't the only team making free agent moves they're not the only team making trades Uh, they're not the only team drafting even uh so there are there's a bunch of stuff that happens around the nhl so we thought we'd take this kind of last slow week of the NHL offseason to take a look at what other teams around the NHL have done this past offseason and how it then might impact the Kraken because we, this is still a Kraken-focused podcast <laughs> and we just ultimately care about the Kraken. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing here. And I think we can, we, we'll probably start with this first one because I think this one is a really good and juicy one to jump into, RJ. And that is the Austin Matthews extension that he signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's going to be staying there. He's got one year left on his deal, and then he signed an extension for four more years after that. And the big question is, looking at the term and the money, which we'll get to in just a second, how is this then potentially impacting 
the extension prospects of Matty Beneers and the extension that we all kind of felt was going to happen this offseason, but hasn't happened yet. And does maybe this throw a wrench into that? Maybe do numbers get reconfigured in the new context of the world in which we're living in, in which Austin Matthews was able to sign this um, this big deal? So why don't you fill everybody in on the on the term and the money there, uh, RJ? Right. So first of all, I'm just really happy we get to flip this on its head. The whole how does this affect the Leafs with every yes. single league wide story. But now look at this, a Leaf signing. How does this affect the Kraken? Mm-hmm. So I'm happy we're going to get to go through some of the league stories and, and do that, starting with, of course, the Leafs. So Austin Matthews, uh, big biggest story probably the last few weeks in the NHL, yeah. uh, signed an extension four years at thirteen point two five million <sighs> per year. That's the cap hit. Uh very bonus heavy. I mean, this is, this is, you know, as, as player friendly of, of a contract as you can sign, you know what? Austin Matthews had a ton of leverage. Uh, it takes up 15.87% of the cap for those of you looking to compare kind of by cap percentage. Um, so this is a big contract extension. I mean, it's the highest AAV of any player in the league. Yeah. He kind of sets that new cap uh, for, you know, what a player can be paid in the NHL. I mean, I think, I, I should have looked this up, but I believe the CBA limit is 20% of the cap. So that would be 16.7 million AAV. So I guess he te- he could have asked for more, but uh, yeah, this is, this is the deal for Austin Matthews. And it does beg the question for the Kraken and for other teams. Now, how does this change the landscape as far as really high end players, what they're ending up being paid? Cause we've seen this trend in the NHL where you're losing that middle class of contracts a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're having these really high deals for stars. And then you kind of have to bring in guys on ELCs to fill out your bottom six, to fill out your depth spots. As for Maddie Beneers, I don't know, Dylan, what, what impact do you think this has, if at all, on the Beneers extension? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because as you talk about like the NHL as a whole losing the middle class, the Kraken, then you look at it and it's a team of the middle class, right? Like that's that's yep. what this team is as far as the contracts and the players that they have. You look at how many guys was this one, two, three, four, five guys with an AAV that starts with the five. And that's not counting Philip Grubauer or Burakovsky down there on IR. So they got even more of them in that range. You know, defensemen like Jamie Alexiak and Adam Larson in the four range. Uh, Wenberg with a contract in the four and a half range. So that's that's a big deal right there is just that that's not the makeup of the Kraken as it exists now to have kind of superstars that make that level of money. That being said, Matty Beneers, we've been talking about this basically since he's arrived with the Kraken. He is their superstar. He is their future franchise cornerstone. We all knew um, that, you know, he was he was good. He's shown that he is that good and that he is that guy. And it is time to to see what that contract's going to be for him. Look, there's no question that this kind of raises probably the number that we were thinking because before we were thinking like, you know, oh, could it be even like eight and a half, nine, maybe like we knew it was going up. It's no secret that the cap is probably going up next year and certainly then a little bit over time. We don't know the exact figures, but just based on all the signings and the way free agency went this year, it seems like everybody's pretty bank, pretty much banking on that. I don't know. I don't know that this totally tweaks it. What I'm worried about, RJ, from like a team perspective, if I'm Ron Francis, I'm more worried about this affecting the term of a Matty Beneers extension and how much term Matty Beneers is looking to take rather than the, the overall dollar figure. Because the bottom line is Matty Beneers hasn't done nearly as much as Austin Matthews has in this league. We know it's not gonna he's not going to be asking for 13 or something because of this. 
I still think somewhere in the nine, maybe even 10 range starts looking like, okay, this is, that's maybe what you're looking at now. But what I'm concerned with, if I'm, if I'm Ron Francis is Austin Matthews was a guy who kind of signed this deal to take him up to first year eligible free agency. That was already uh, something that was noteworthy. And then this extension basically takes until he's like 30. So he's going to be set up for then another payday after this upcoming extension. These aren't eight-year max term extensions that that he's signing. And if you're if you're Matty Beniers, if you're other young players around the NHL, do you kind of look at what he was able to do and you look at him resetting the entire NHL market because he signed that first extension when he was younger to take him to free agency years instead of the max term? And do you go... I, I want in on that. Like, that's a big payday. That's a big deal. Like, maybe I want something like that. And we see a Matty Beniers ask for a six-year extension or something instead. Like, do you start worrying about that? You know, that would be my worry. I, I'm not necessarily worried about that with Matty Beniers quite yet. I guess the longer that it takes before this deal gets done, then potentially. But I, I do wonder when we start to see star players that really go the Matthews route and signing shorter deals, because uh, we haven't seen it a whole lot outside of Austin Matthews himself. I mean, take this contract and the last one together. It's a total of nine years. It was five years before, and now it's four years here. Really looking to kind of maximize that value i mean i think i'm sure he anticipated when he signed that five-year deal before this one the cap would be much higher at this point than it is i'm sure he didn't anticipate COVID happening yeah but that's a player who really wants to bet on himself and maximize his earnings and you know I, i do wonder if other players start to follow suit there players who are star players and they know they're star players and and i think it's becoming quite clear what kind of player Maddie Beniers is. He's going to be a star in yeah. the NHL if he's not already. Um, and so, yeah, I do worry about the term because, man, if I'm Ron Francis, I just want to get that deal signed for eight years as soon as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I did ask Francis about that at the start of the offseason. I, I asked, is that something you'd like to get done this offseason extension? He said, yes, that is something we, we want to get done uh, this offseason. And so I'm sure on his end, he definitely does. But if you're Matty Beniers and if you have more of a mindset like Austin Matthews, I'm not saying that he does, but if you do, then yeah, you might want to wait. And he, and then you might want to sign a shorter deal and wait for the cap to go way up and, and then see what you can net yourself in, in three or four years after a bridge deal. So I guess that would be my biggest worry on the Beniers contract. As for the AAV, I'm, I was thinking 10 from the start. Look, it, that's yeah. that's just kind of what, what's going to happen, I think. Also, I, I talked with Ron Francis about this at the start of the offseason because I was curious about the middle class question, right? Mm-hmm. Is that a way you're going to want to continue to build your roster? And he almost scoffed the question a little bit like, well, yeah, I'd love to be able to just only pay guys, you know, five million or so or build a roster that way. But it happens to everybody and it's going to happen to us. So I think it's something that Kraken fans should definitely be preparing themselves for. Yeah, and I, I do. I'm with you. I think if you can do eight years with an av- with a cap hit of 10 million for Matty Beniers, I think you probably go ahead and do that as the Kraken, right? Go ahead, lock him I up. Would. You're, you're, you're getting uh, some UFA years on the back end there, and you're you're keeping that relationship really solid with the with the player. You've got your franchise cornerstone. It just helps your 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 future outlook too. Just to know that look, this is a set number I can work around. I know what this is. It's not going to be changing anytime soon. Now. I can plan around it. Uh, so it's a very valuable thing. It is interesting. I mean, we saw like uh, an interesting situation this past year with Boston, right? With Pasta, David Pasternak, right? Where he was in the last year of his deal. They weren't able to work out an extension last offseason. 
played into the year on that last year of his deal as somebody who was going to be a 27-year-old UFA, right? He had all the all the leverage, and eventually Boston uh, and him were able to come to terms with to a deal in March, which is very unusual to see negotiations and a deal happen like that mid-season. Although I guess when you're just winning every single night, you you know didn't need to worry about anything with Boston this year. Um, <laughs> and, and we ultimately saw him, a winger, obviously one of the best players in the league, but a winger get 11.25. Yeah, center is more valuable, especially young centers, franchise cornerstone centers. So that's, that's one of those reasons why I think that 10 uh, numbers probably on point, but we, I think we are starting to see players exercise that leverage that they have, especially when it comes to them being around free agency years, whenever they're going to hit UFA, and we're seeing them really start focusing on that. And look, Matty Beniers isn't going to be the only one that's worth watching in this situation. There's a lot of other young players that are due for extensions this offseason that haven't signed them. Just look a little bit north of Seattle to Vancouver with Elias Pedersen, right? He's entering the final year of his deal. He's still going to be an RFA next year, just like Matty Beniers would, but no extension yet, right? And you got to wonder there, what's the what are, what are they looking at? Are they trying to do something long-term? Is he looking at a bridge deal? I don't know. I haven't paid attention to it. Um, but there's a lot of those kinds of situations around the league it does feel like this offseason, RJ, some of those extensions, Trevor Zegras, another big one, right? Like there's a lot of these young guys, the big extensions didn't really happen the way they normally do in years past. And I don't know how much of that's waiting on the salary cap and how much of that is just, yeah, guys looking at, hey, maybe bridge deals aren't the worst thing in the world if it means I can maximize leverage a little bit later on for that next contract. Yeah, I think that cap jump is is really a big factor there. And people are wondering exactly how much it's going to go up. And, you know, if, if you're a young guy that, that you figure is going to be a good player in the league for a long time, I, why are you signing eight years right now? Just before you at least see what that cap yeah. number is going to be in a year or two. And not just what the number will be, say, next season, but like how aggressive is it going to be raising year over year? Right. What is the, the actual future revenue outlook? Um that's that's another thing that I think they're going to want to pay attention to. And you know what? They should, right? Like they, they've got a very limited window in which they have earning potential. They need to be able to maximize it. That's that's the way it is. Um, so that's the situation there. Obviously, giant news, that extension. And um, Matty Beniers is the one to, to focus on now that the Vince Dunn extension was was all done. And that's all squared away, RJ. Good stuff. Um all right, so the the arguably that from the biggest signing to the biggest trade of the offseason, RJ, I, I think oh, yeah. we, most people in hockey would agree it was the Eric Carlson trade from the San Jose Sharks to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, huge, huge deal. A deal in which the Kraken were potentially in on. I mean, their name was floated in Carlson talks for a very, very long time, pretty deep into the process. Obviously, he ends up going to the, uh, Pittsburgh instead. First off, RJ, we've talked about it before. Good move, Kraken. That was a dangerous situation to be looking at. Glad they didn't do it. Uh, he's a fabulous yep. player, but getting up there in age, significant injury history, massive cap hit that the Sharks weren't looking to retain too much on. There was a lot of red flags when it came to looking at a Carlson trade for the Seattle Kraken. Maybe less so for Pittsburgh, given their overall situation. Um, but the bottom line is Carlson was traded. And he was traded out of the division, which is good for the the, the Kraken, as we talked about uh, last week in the division preview. He's traded to the Eastern Conference, which is good because you don't need to worry about him the next year or two. But RJ, how, how else does this trade affect the Kraken? 
I mean, well, the the biggest effect on the Kraken is is that they didn't do this trade, yes. and I think that you can't overstate that, right? I, I think it's a very good idea they decided not to go with it. And if if I had to guess, I would think that Ron Francis was probably doing his due diligence, sniffing mm -hmm. around this trade a little bit, and trying to see something that would make sense. Where I would imagine it would involve the Sharks retaining a lot of Eric Carlson's mm -hmm. contract and making him something closer to a seven million or eight million dollar player. At which point, depending on the assets coming back, you could make an argument that it could work for Seattle. And so I think that's probably where the name, you know, where the Kraken showed up and, and maybe the rumblings were there. That would be my guess. Um, but it became clear that Mike Greer was just not willing to retain that much money on Eric Carlson, no matter who he traded him to. And at that point, the Penguins were probably the only ones in position to make a trade, keeping Eric Carlson at about a $10 million player uh, because of their unique circumstance. So I think that's probably the case, but I I'm just, I'm glad the Kraken did not make this deal. I don't think Carlson would have fit for them on the ice or off the ice, given the team's style of play and also just kind of given the locker room dynamics as well. Yeah, and then also, right, like, just the fact that this was the thing that the Kraken were reportedly in on, over all the other potential mm -hmm. trades this offseason, this was the one that the Kraken seemed significantly in on, according to all the insiders. What do you think that tells us about the Kraken's overall, you know, or Ron Francis's overall plan, right? The fact that here he is, he was looking to bring in a veteran defenseman a good defenseman a puck moving defenseman somebody who can play a lot of minutes maybe somebody who could help out the power play it's obviously something that you would think the cracker would be interested in i mean it I don't think that that's insignificant, the fact that this was the one player the Kraken were in on. I think that tells us a lot about how maybe Ron Francis feels about this roster right now. Right. You make a good point. I think it is an indicator of, of where Francis sees the potential areas for improvement and what the team's needs are. We've talked a whole bunch about the idea that the Kraken have really one big ad left that they can make over the next year or so, given the team's cap situation. They have one big addition they could make. And you could make arguments for whether a forward or a defenseman that you want to acquire and looking at Carlson might indicate that, okay, he feels like the blue line needs to be stronger. And look, there's a lot of talent on the blue line for the Kraken, but there's no game breaking type player. There's no elite type player. Vince Dunn was sniffing around that territory last season, but he doesn't have a history of that, right? We, we haven't, we're not guaranteed that he's that kind of player all the time. And so the fact that he's looking at defense maybe is a little bit of a hint uh, at where the Kraken might choose to make their big addition. Um, and especially the fact that maybe it, he wasn't really rumored to be sniffing around any of the big forwards that were potentially on the market too. Now you could argue that Eric Carlson is kind of a unicorn of a player, right? Yeah. That's available. Uh, the Norris Trophy winner is is usually not available for trade that offseason. <laughs> Just had 100 so, points as a defenseman. Right. I mean, you could go That's... back decades before any player like that was, you know, putting up those yeah. numbers in the league as opposed to just being available for trade. So maybe it was just kind of a one-off where it's like, okay, well, when you have a player like this that we just haven't seen a season like this from a guy in a long time, you have to be doing your due diligence. But it could also be a hint at, at what he's looking at. I don't know how involved the Kraken were. Do you remember from the insiders on like a potential Chikrin deal? I know we certainly wanted them in on it. it but do you remember if they were actually rumored to be involved? I don't remember. Not really. It. No. Yeah. I did. We never really heard about them being involved. Like they were one of the teams when it was like half the league had checked in on the situation. But once it started getting mm -hmm. narrowed down, the Kraken were not amongst them. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe the more I think about it, the more I think that that 
maybe it's just an Eric Carlson thing and that this was a unique player. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I understand thinking that it might be an indication of, of where they're going with the next big ad. Yeah, so, well, I'm going to then jump down uh, on, on our notes here, RJ, and, and pull up a name and a topic that we were going to talk about later. But I think it works well to talk about it now. And that's Alex Dabrinkit, who was another player who was on the market uh, this past offseason. You know, somebody who scored 40 goals in this league multiple times, still very much in their prime uh, age-wise, right? Late 20s. Somebody who it would have made sense for the Kraken to potentially be in on in a potential trade. And I know there's stuff about him, you know, really kind of wanting to go home to Michigan and why he ended up in Detroit, you know, that playing a part in that. But again, the Kraken weren't really rumored at all involved in discussions for somebody that seemingly fits exactly what they need. You bring in another top goal scorer, somebody who can contribute on the power play, somebody who could play with a Matty Beniers or a Shane Wright for a long time, and the Kraken just weren't really around. Does that change your thinking, or are you still just kind of Carlson was a unique piece, that's kind of it? Or, or are you thinking, you know, no, maybe there is something to the fact that he was a defenseman? You know, I, I think you do have a couple situations that are involve unique player circumstances. The Carlson one being where Ron Francis probably felt he had to check in on that situation and for to break it. It all it sounds like he just wanted to go to, to Michigan. He wanted to go to Detroit. And in Debrinkit's situation, too, you had to be confident that you could get a long-term deal done with mm-hmm. him. And that was the situation with him last season, too. I mean, when he was traded to Ottawa yeah. from Chicago, where Ottawa was going to try and get a deal done with him. They couldn't. He didn't end up wanting to sign there long term. And that's a situation that your team can't really afford to go into now this year with him being as close to free agency at UFA as he was. And so you had to know you were going to be able to sign him to a long term extension. I think Detroit was probably the only team that was confident enough in that uh, to be able to make that move. And so I just think my, my thought on it is that Ron Francis might have done some initial digging on Debrinkit, but probably realized where Debrinkit wanted to ultimately end up. I don't think Ron Francis is the type that that's going to want to necessarily uh, have to nudge or, or or not force somebody to be happy somewhere they don't want to be. But I think he wants to play into where players like to play and want to be. Mm-hmm. We've seen that with the Giordano trade. You know, he, yeah. he likes that kind of stuff. He wants to um, do right by the players and and thinks that players should probably play where they want to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he probably saw that situation with Debrinkit and then, you know, figured that he was out. Yeah, and it, that certainly plays into a lot of what the Kraken have done for their players and the, the culture that they've cultivated and the, the overall feeling that players around the league are starting to have towards Seattle, right? I mean, that was a big thing that came out this past season was uh, the rumor is amongst players around the NHL, Seattle's a fantastic place to play, not just the city, but the organization as well. So that very much fits in with all of that. Uh, from uh, you know a, a player extension to a trade, let's go a little bit different, RJ. Those all involve players, all right. But that's only that's I mean they're only the guys on the ice doing everything, right? That's not <laughs> that's all they do. Uh, what about coaches? Because we had we had our own kind of coaching extension news this off season with with Dave Haxtall. But there was an even bigger one that kind of sent waves around the NHL just a little while ago. And that was Sheldon Keefe being extended by the Toronto Maple Leafs in a move that beyond confuses and mystifies me, RJ. Of course, my infamous Keefe rant uh, was probably one of our more viral moments on social media all year, (laughs) which is crazy, (laughs) from our Patreon podcast. uh, Link in the description below. Um, 
But Sheldon Keefe gets extended, RJ, by Toronto. What does this mean? Now, we know Dave Haxtell was already extended for the Kraken. There's, we don't need to talk about that. But just the idea that, that coaches with, I mean, let's face it, Dave Haxtell has more playoff success in his current job with the Kraken than Keefe does in many more seasons with arguably better rosters at times in Toronto. I mean, what does this mean just overall when it comes to how NHL teams view coaches as far as what we might see from the Kraken in the future? I think teams are are potentially worried about not having their guy locked up and having a, a, a coach, if he does really well, reach the end of his contract, be on an expiring deal, and then be in position to negotiate for a whole lot more. I think teams would much rather mitigate that risk and sign their guy to an extension, even if it does mean potentially having to fire them with years left on that deal. I think we're really seeing that uh, certainly with Toronto and, and Keefe. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're, you know, certainly guaranteeing that he's going to play out through that, you know, the rest mm. of that extension coaching the team. Um, so I think you're seeing that. And, and with the Kraken too, with Dave Haxtell having one year left on his deal. And you could see that if the Kraken take another step forward next season and, and they go to that next level that, that we're all anticipating they can, uh, and Dave Haxtell's contract is up, I mean, you're going to have to re-sign them and it's yes. going to have to be for a lot of money. And I think it's probably better to mitigate your risk there. I think the Leafs were maybe thinking the same thing. I guess if you, if you do keep Keefe on for another season, you have a roster that's talented enough to win the Stanley Cup. I really do believe mm -hmm. they have the talent in that room if they could ever put it together to go all the way. It's there. And if for some reason that all comes together and you have Keefe as a Stanley Cup winning coach on a deal that's expired in Toronto, uh, you're going to be left, um, yeah, left yeah. having to pay him a whole lot of money. So I think that's probably the thinking there. Also, I just want to say, thank goodness we're talking about Toronto Maple Leafs again. We went two whole topics without discussing them. I don't know if I could, uh, you know, could hang on for a third one. I know. It was insane. Um, yeah. No, I, I totally get it, and I agree. And it is kind of wild to think about Dave Haxtell with the Kraken in one year had more playoff success than Keefe has had in Toronto in all of those years uh, just by getting to game seven of round two. <laughs> you want to do Keefe rant part two? I don't know. I look, I thought I really thought and I think everybody thought that he was Kyle Dubas's guy. And that was why they hadn't moved on from Keefe. I still don't think Keefe's the guy. I don't think he's a strong enough communicator with the players. I just don't think his ideas or game management skills are there. I just don't or at least it doesn't work with this group of guys. I don't know how many times you need to lose, you know, kind of ridiculously in the playoffs before you can come to that conclusion if you're Toronto. But now I'm starting to think maybe maybe he's Brendan Shanahan's guy. Maybe it wasn't Kyle Dubas all along. Who knows? Uh, it just, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's one of those, like if Toronto even comes out of the gate poorly, I could see him fired like a month into the season. Like, and then you're just paying him for a while, which look, let's, I guess just to reiterate to everybody, there is no salary cap for staff. You can pay your coaches whatever you want. You could be paying as many coaches as you want. If you just sign them all the eight-year deals and you fire them every year, you could be paying seven coaches. Uh, there's no rules against it. It's just how much money you're willing to just float out there for guys not coaching your team. Uh, and if you're Toronto, you just don't worry about that stuff. But 
it's just it's absolutely wild but I don't know I'm, I'm just happy we got Dave Haxtall coach who you know players really enjoy we like him from the media side of things right and and what he was able to do with this team this last year inspires a lot of confidence moving forward and I guess this Keefe extension is just an example of not all fan bases can say the same so aren't we lucky yep. It's certainly true. Oh man, I I don't man. If we were a Leafs podcast and covering that team, I I mean I would I would love to listen to the episode. Basically, just kind of sit back and and have you rant about why are why are we doing this um, with the Keith extension? But uh, yeah, glad we're covering the crack. I was gonna say my blood pressure is high enough as it is. If we were a Leafs podcast, you don't need this leading into a surgery. Oh gosh, no. Oh no no no. Um, all right, so we got some some interesting ones here next to talk about. Um, one of the the more recent stories going around, I guess, in, is involving one of the top picks from this last year's draft. Somebody that a lot of teams were very intrigued by, and that's Mave Mitchkov. Um, apparently, being a healthy scratch as the KHL gets things underway over there in Russia. Right, so he's looking to be a healthy scratch now for the first two games of the SK St. Petersburg season, uh, which could could be a little bit problematic given that he's you know one of your best young players um there, there's also a top 2024 prospect who actually has been getting ice time over Matvey Michkov so look Dylan I mean there's a lot of talent I guess on that you know SK St. Petersburg is, they're always yeah. a, a stacked team right Michkov's a good young player but he's still a young player I do you think this is just a healthy scratch because he just hasn't earned the opportunity to be in the lineup or do you think there's something deeper going on there because look there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of shenanigans going on in the KHL it feels like there could be so many things right this could be for personal reasons this could and it has nothing to do with anything and he'll be back in just like a week or two uh this could do with maybe he's you know doing stuff with the flyers who, who did draft him obviously he's under contract there and he's not going to be coming over to north america probably at least for another year or two um but you know maybe there is something around that that's going on um you never know it's possible that again He's a young player, so in you know most European leagues, certainly in the KHL, young players don't just, based on seniority, don't get a lot of top ice time. And it's possible that for St. Petersburg, you know, through camp, they were like, look, we just don't feel like he's necessarily ready for like a top-line role, but we know that he needs those top-line minutes. And maybe they're just working out another loan, like he was loaned out last year to Sochi. It's entirely possible they're just trying to work out a loan situation where, again, he'll stay under contract with them, he'll go back to them next season, but they're looking for a place where he can get more ice time than if he was to stay there with them and continue his development and all that. I think that would be a little strange given how clear he made his intentions to one day come over to North America and play, um, but it's at least an option uh, and a reason for all of this. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, the, what gives me pause is that, like, Ivan Demidov, who's 2024 prospect, 17 mm. years old, is getting ice time and yeah. he is playing. So I don't think the age alone explains it. Um, but, yeah, they, maybe they're trying to find a loan or something for him. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with, with Michkov making his intentions clear that he wants mm. to play in North America, coming to North America for the draft. Yeah, we, we've seen shenanigans like that going on in, in Russia recently, so I wouldn't be too surprised by it. But of course, we don't know. It, it's all just speculation. I mean, trying to tie it back to the Kraken, though, Dylan. Yes. I mean, do, does this kind of thing give you any more pause about the Kraken potentially drafting a, a 
a very good Russian young Russian player. Cause look, the Kraken have shied away from drafting Russian mm-hmm. prospects. Really? I mean, they drafted Semyon Vyazovoy late in their very first draft. We have yet to see him on Kraken ice since then. And I, I believe Jeff Tambellini um, of, of Kraken player development was asked about, you know, do we know what the situation with him is? And he, I think he said he wasn't entirely sure. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, it seemed to hint that he was fine. There's nothing wrong with yeah. him, but you know, that, that they're not sure really when they would see him in North America. Um, so does that give you pause if you're looking at maybe next year's draft or something, drafting a, a Russian player high? I know there's always that Russian factor and, and we've always been pretty consistent, you know, that, that you shouldn't be too worried about that if the mm-hmm. talent is there, but I, this at a certain point, if he continues to be a healthy scratch, that hurts his development. Players need to play. Right. Yeah. No, if, if, if the KHL as a whole, right, like this could be a very much a situation where yes, the heads of Russian hockey are saying, do this to St. Petersburg, right? Like you guys don't really actually need him. We're trying to send a message to players telling them that we don't want our young star players to leave, to go to North America. If that's something that they're trying to lay down, then that is very significant. And that's something that not just the Kraken, but all NHL teams need to factor into their thinking moving forward. And this a year after, you know, Michkov was not the only top Russian player drafted in the first round even. There was a lot of them drafted in the first round this past draft. So it is something, I I think from the Kraken perspective, I don't know that the Michkov situation is necessarily the one that does it. It's probably the Azovoy thing Mm -hmm. that is much more significant (laughs) to you. Just the fact that you are already going through kind of the issues that exist with having a Russian prospect in your system, which is, look, most of these teams if not all of them kind of they don't have people in russia right your european scouts don't kind of go to russia like it's 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 not quite as bad as the soviet bloc era but it's still very much where you rely on contacts in contacts in russia to do the scouting for you to do, to be your envoy to your drafted prospects like it's not as clean as if say you're drafting a swedish kid and you can just call them up on the phone and you can talk with their organi- the organization they're playing with and all of that kind of stuff the that level of communication just still does not exist for prospects of yours that are in russia and I, I think it is something that the Kraken need to consider moving forward. I still think when you have a player as talented as Michkov, where, you know, it was like Bedard and then him talent level wise in a very stacked draft class, you always take a chance on those guys. But when you're starting to look at anybody outside of like a top 10 prospect in that year's draft class, I think it absolutely has to be something that a team considers. And it does seem as though the Kraken are one of those teams that does consider that. Do you think, though, RJ, this is also an issue of the Kraken are a very good organization as far as melding both old school just kind of based on what I'm seeing scouting with analytics and and having you know their analytics department very much be involved in the scouting and drafting process? Do you think it's also just a matter of maybe, you know, there's not a lot of good data that gets out of Russia just because like none of that information gets out of Russia. Do you think that's also part of it? Is this, uh, they don't have anything analytical to go on. So they bank on the safer, you know, North American or, or European prospects. 
I think that does factor in for sure. And teams like to draft from what they've seen and what they know, whether it's kind of the old school approach or the analytics approach, you want good data. And I think if you're working in, in hockey analytics, you have a good sense for when you have good data and when you don't have good data, especially, you know, the numbers could be telling you certain things, but you, you might not be so confident where you're getting those numbers from. And I think that's something that anyone working in that field is aware of. Um, and also, if you do look at like NHLE, like expect, you know, comparing different league, again, this is kind of getting to the weeds here, but basically comparing different league strength. This is something that people working in amateur hockey analytics will try and do compare different junior leagues with other leagues and kind of try and get NHL equivalency uh, out of those, the strength of those leagues. Some of the recent data that we're getting is as incomplete as it is, tends to show that the KHL is not as strong of a league as it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I'm sure, you know, based on the publicly available data, that's what we're seeing, but I'm sure they have, better privately available data that may even paint a stronger picture of that as well. And so that might be a reason that an analytics staff might shy away from some of these players, some of the publicly available models. I mean, I look, they showed uh, Michkov, I think is like, you know, generational type talent given the numbers that he was putting up in the KHL. But there were yeah. caveats that I saw from some analytics people saying, look, that's based on a picture of the KHL that may not reflect the level that the KHL is at now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting stuff. And it's certainly as like an NHL fan, it's a situation worth monitoring. And, um, you know, as as the Kraken have had three drafts and we've only seen one, you know, kind of Russian prospect picked in all those drafts and that's like the one player we haven't seen all these years later <laughs> it is an interesting situation from the kraken perspective um another one uh that's kind of interesting a little more um you know I, i'm not going to say off the wall but it is kind of off the wall compared to some of the future topics we'll talk about and some of the ones we've already talked about and that's with the the forming of the pwhl rj the professional women's hockey league it was big i mean this is a big moment uh, for women's hockey, and it was a big part of what's gone on over this offseason in the hockey world, um, was the, the formation of this um, hockey league. It's kind of like a successor to the Premier Hockey Federation. And there was, look, women's hockey, professional hockey, has always kind of existed in this loose state. There was kind of two rival leagues. There's a lot of history there. I suggest people go and, and there's a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos from people who are far more involved in all of it than we are that can do a much better job explaining the complicated history that it has than we can. But the bottom line is there is now kind of one new, you know, this is the league, uh, the Professional Women's Hockey League that exists. And it's going to kick off in 2024 and it's going to include six um, teams, one in Boston, one in Minneapolis, one in New York, one in Montreal, one in Toronto and one in Ottawa. And kind of the question is, RJ, how will this potentially impact the future of, say, women's professional hockey in Seattle? And do we think, you know, would the Kraken be involved, stuff like that? Right. So professional women's hockey in Seattle is something that the two of us are, are really hoping for and, and yeah. have been for a while. Again, we, we are a fan of the women's game. Uh, we love watching women's hockey. And Seattle would be a fantastic market yes. for women's hockey absolutely. absolutely would be i don't know what more proof you need than when usa and canada came to climate pledge arena last season and and played an exhibition game there and it set the record for the highest attended women's game in the united states mm -hmm. ever and and i was at that game i was lucky enough to i decided just 
don't do the media side of things. I just want to be a fan for that one. I got glass seats for my girlfriend and I, and we had a fantastic time. Great game. And Seattle was absolutely there for it. So Seattle would be an awesome market. But I think this new league starting up, having six teams, and especially where they're located. You know, you kind of have the bigger markets on the East Coast, so, you know, Boston, New York, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Minnesota out a little bit further west. Mm-hmm. But they're they're such a good market. You have to include them. Yeah, um, I think it does speak to the league wanting to be a little bit more cautious about where they are. Um, you had prior leagues that that it maybe had more locations. You know, you had the NWHL and and. Um, you know, kind of in the U.S. markets, you had a Canadian Women's Hockey League. And then, of course, you had like the PHWA that kind of toured all around. Um, and I think this league, they just they want to be cautious. They want to have it be a proper start because yes. we've we've seen so many times, unfortunately, you know, where, where pro women's hockey leagues, um, you know, they, they expand a little bit too fast. And it's tough because travel costs yes. like that's that's the number one thing preventing uh, you know, Seattle women's hockey, pro women's hockey team is just travel costs. Mm-hmm. If you could just have like a, a, you know, teleporting portal, you know, that went, you know, one side out in Toronto and the other side out in Seattle, like by Climate Pledge Arena, I think you you would have a team in this league. But I, I just, I, I don't know when it would be possible just given given travel difficulties. What do you think, Dylan? I, that's, that is the issue. It is all about travel. Um, and I mean, look, we see this at, at levels involving the NHL, right? The AHL. And, you know, that's, again, a whole nother complicated situation as far as, like, how those two leagues are are pieced together. But um, travel at the AHL level for the minor league teams of the NHL teams has always been an issue, right? Like, we don't see big cross-country trips in that league really even anymore. Um, it's it's just such a, it's such a big expense to have in a sport like hockey that pay, plays as many games as they play, right? You're not talking about doing like maybe one road trip a year, right? Kind of thing. Uh, you're talking about, look, you're trying to fill out a very big schedule and, and that's going to include a lot of travel and even just travel between places like Toronto and Montreal, the amount of times they're going to have to do it, right? Those costs add up and all that. So it, it is unfortunate. The realities is just that geography and how far apart things are in North America just means that whole massive markets are going to be left out of this. But that doesn't mean that Seattle hockey fans still can't support this league with the understanding of as long as this league got, does get off to a good start, there's no reason then that in the future, you know, things change, the amount of money involved changes, all of a sudden other markets can start opening up and you can start um building towards having a Seattle-based team. I think if that was to happen, I would think that the Kraken would very much be involved in trying to help make that team very welcome in Seattle, Have you know make sure there's plenty of crossover with the fan bases, all that stuff. I mean, the Kraken have just been so open to all of those things whenever it's, it's happened in the past. Again, just another reason to love this Kraken organization. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just an unfortunate reality for sports at, at all sorts of different levels. I mean, minor league baseball deals with travel expenses and uh, has adjusted their schedules many times over the years because of it. It's, it's just one of those things that really does sneak up on you. And I don't think when we talk about professional sports, it's appreciated enough, just how much has to go into the planning and logistics sides of things. And then obviously the cost itself of travel. 
Yeah, and Seattle also, just given its location, is is almost uniquely difficult uh, when yeah. you talk about just the amount of miles that even you look at the NHL teams have to travel. Um, it's it's a totally different ball game, and something that even Dave Haxtell has talked about and adjusted to as far as the practice schedule and, and what the Kraken do. You cannot practice as often as a team like you know Boston or New York, where you're taking bus rides to your away games. You, you just can't do it, and so that's something that you know that you have to always uh, be looking out for. Yep, definitely. Um, all right, RJ. So now let's get back to some more NHL stuff. These these next two, um, you know, we did our big division, Pacific Division preview last week on the podcast, kind of talking about what the division looks like around the Kraken, what we can kind of expect from all those teams, where we think the Kraken might uh, fall into that. They're not alone, though, in the Western Conference, that Pacific Division. There is a whole other division. The Central Division does exist. And look, as we saw this last year, when it comes to the playoffs, and Kraken were that first wildcard team, we suspect they'll probably be in that mix again this next season. That means you might end up in the Central Division playoff bracket, as the Kraken did last year. That's why they, they played uh, Colorado in the first round. They were able to beat them in seven games and then you know fell to Dallas in seven games in round two. With Colorado, RJ, they they did make a splash that was one of the bigger moves of this offseason where they brought in Ross Colton from the the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Just trying to add some center depth to a team that, hey, if you did watch that Kraken Avalanche series, you saw that they didn't really have any and they could have used more. And so uh, just because this is one of the, the more notable additions, RJ, and this is a team that, you know, look, the Kraken very much could find themselves in another first round series against next season. How big a deal is Ross Colton to the Avalanche going to be? I think he combined with Ryan Johansson, because I, I think you shouldn't yeah, write him that's, off that's as well. True. I think that was another big move. And between the two of them, uh, the Avs are trying to become less top heavy than they were last season. When you win a Stanley Cup, you're obviously going to have some cap casualties. It happens every year to every cup winner. And the Avs were certainly no exception. Nazem Kadri, of course, being a big loss down mm -hmm. the middle for them. Um, and of course, Andre Burakovsky on the wing going to the Seattle. We know yeah. that very well. And I think those deficiencies were were exposed against the Seattle Kraken, where the Avs just were lacking the kind of forward depth to get that series won, and especially um, losing Valeri Nachushkin, uh, you know, in the middle of that series, that hurt them quite a bit. And um, you know, that I, I don't know where that situation is. Uh, yeah. You know, he posted a very interesting photo on social media the yeah. other day, so I don't know how confident you can be about about his availability for next season. I don't know what to think, yeah. but you need to reinforce that forward group. And I think they've done a good job of that uh, with, with Ryan Johansson and Ross Colton. And I think that this, these moves are kind of exactly what Colorado needs. You don't need a bunch more stars. You have those guys, you have Nathan McKinnon, you have Miko Rontanen, you need guys who can be serviceable. Uh, and I think they even did a good job last off season um, in bringing in like an Evan Rodriguez. Yeah you know, on that deal. I mean, it kind of fell into their laps, but I, I think they know what they need to look for. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ryan Johansson have a bit of a bounce back season. I know a lot of the more advanced numbers show that he, maybe he is washed, but I, you know, we've seen players in that situation get motivated by being on a team that's a legitimate Stanley cup contender. I, I think that might be the case with him. And then Ross Colton. I mean, he, he has that experience with Tampa. He, he knows how to play in those big situations. I think he's going to be a good ad for the playoffs. What do you think? Yeah. I, I think that this obviously makes them stronger. I think if they had these pieces last postseason, they beat the Kraken, right? Like yep. I, I think that is enough to have made the difference. And this is where, 
for the on the Kraken side of things, this is where the further development of a Matty Beniers. Okay, now you've had a full season in the NHL. You understand what a grind it is. You've got some playoff hockey experiences. 14 games. I mean, that's more than anybody could have asked for for him uh, to have some playoff development. What is that next step for a Matty Beniers? Right. What what is that next level that he's going to hit, um, whether it's from a point production standpoint or defensive standpoint or whatever it is. But you got to make sure that you continue to have him moving forward and progressing uh, towards that star potential that we talked about earlier. It, it makes a Vince Dunn situation all that much more important. Is he for real? Is he now that guy? Is he that top defenseman on a team? And can he step it up? And. And then other things like, can you address your special teams? Can you address the power play to help out with scoring? Because a lot of those, a lot of those postseason games for the Kraken were very low scoring games where if they had been able to score on a power play, maybe they're even going to a Western Conference final. So um, it, it just, it shows that, look, if you're not going to make big additions in the offseason, which the Kraken weren't in a place to do, it means you have to work on the things you struggled with the year prior. Right. This wasn't a team that was decimated by injuries. Obviously, you did have the Berkey injury and that you know is significant. But look, it's the NHL. Every team's going to have at least one injury going into the postseason. You got to be able to find ways of surviving that. Um, and so if you're the if you're the crack and you got to make sure your young guys continue to step forward uh, and you got to make sure that you start addressing some of the significant issues that you had all season long. A last season like the power play and so that's what this signifies to me it's and it's not just Colorado we're using Colorado as a stand-in but the bottom line is all teams work on getting better year over year and the teams you faced last year are going to look different the next year some are going to be better so most are going to be better some will be worse uh <laughs> But uh, that's that's the kind of the way it is. And so that's the focus for the Kraken that I'm going to be watching for is what does the next step look like for Matty Beniers? Is Vince done for real? Can they figure out the power play? Because the bottom line is the rest of the NHL does not stay quiet. They're all working and tinkering on things. And so if you have a more quiet offseason, those on ice things become that much more important for you, especially early on in the season and kind of get a glimpse of that. My off base. Yeah, well said, Dylan. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, what'd you say? No, I no, saying, I, I, I don't think like you are. Look, yeah, looking around the league. And I think that's something that, you know, as we kind of scan around the league for these different stories, like teams are looking to improve, whether it's, I mean, Pittsburgh swinging for the fences with a Carlson trade, yeah. Detroit kind of keeps slowly building up, uh, you know, by adding Alex to bring it. Um, yeah. Teams are, are always looking at, at the next ways to get better. And, and some are in position to do so with the cap. Some aren't. That's, that's just kind of the reality of things. Um, but yeah, it's, it puts a real onus on what you do on the ice. And especially if you're a younger team, like the Kraken with this kind of slow build that they're doing, making sure your own players get better and making sure that you have that additional year of working within that system. That's an area where the Kraken can improve just by virtue of having existed for two years. You have teams, and, and Haxtell's pointed this out too, with lines, forward lines that have played together for a decade more or less. Yes. You know, when talking about Boston, I remember Haxtell bringing that up. And, and it's true, and the Kraken just, they, they cannot have that because they've only existed two years. So those are the kind of things, that's the kind of growth that you need to have when you can't make addition, a big addition to the roster. Yep, exactly. And then finally, RJ, as we close things out here, one last thing to talk about, and that was, of course, all the hype surrounding Connor Bedard this last offseason leading into the draft where he was, you know, big surprise, first overall pick. Uh, lots of people, you know, it's debatable about whether or not he's a generational player, all that kind of stuff. You know, go, go scroll through the long Discord history there if you want my thoughts on it. Um, but 
the bottom line is he's here. He's he's with Chicago. I'm sure he's going to be a good player this year, RJ. I'm sure everybody's wondering, what does this mean for the Kraken? And that's the kind of what I want to pose to you, because the thing that I thought of and why I've added this to the docket, RJ, is he's going to the Western Conference. So now when the media outlets, the national media outlets are looking ahead to next season and they're planning out which trips they're going to send people on. They look at, well, okay, what, what are the stories from the Western Conference? And one of them should have been, and I still think it will be, the Kraken's, you know, evolution from kind of worst to first last year, right? Going from a bottom three team to a playoff team. The fact that they were able to take Dallas to a game seven in the second round, right? All the positive stories around the Seattle Kraken, Matty Beneers coming into his own, Vince Dunn joining those top defensemen, all that stuff. The problem is, as we talked about earlier with travel expenses and, you know, all these giant, you know, um, big money things like an AHL, and I know big money, relatively speaking, uh, having, (laughs) you know, travel concerns. We know about this from the larger sports media landscape as ESPN has had to do many layoffs. The Athletic is not going to have dedicated beat reporters for all MLB or NHL teams, you know, moving forward. Travel is very much a thing for sports media outlets, as we found out as well last year. Uh, yep. it's, it's a big <laughs> expense. Uh, sometimes it's your biggest expense. And so what I'm worried about here, RJ, and I'd love your opinion on, is when the big, you know, the ESPNs, the Sportsnets, TSN, all that stuff, when they start looking at, okay, we've got X amount of travel budget to start kind of leaving the East Coast, leaving the greater Toronto area. When they look at the Western Conference, they're going to go, well, we need people there for Bedard. And they might not say, hey, we need people in Seattle to see kind of this awesome story that they have developing. I'm really worried about that. I do think there is a natural momentum towards markets, you know, like Chicago that even for travel is just not as far away from the East yeah. Coast, but, it, you know, is also a cool city to go visit. You know, I, I think no one's really complaining about, you know, making the Chicago trip um, as far as a road trip. I do think there is kind of that momentum where you either have a, a market like that with a, a young star player like that, or you have, you know, a, a star player like Connor McDavid that forces you to go, you know, out to Edmonton for a trip. Mm-hmm. It, it is kind of that balance, you know, back and forth, or you have Stanley Cup champion Vegas and and Vegas is probably top on a lot of people's lists yeah. as far as you know the trip they want to go out and take I mean you know we've taken that trip it's it's great mm-hmm. um and then you have LA still being a really good team and so you kind of have a lot of forces in the west you know pulling you maybe somewhere else besides Seattle and I think Bedard does add to that and and even for media coverage that doesn't involve travel because he is you know, anywhere from, you know, generational player, as some people are saying, to just just a plain old star player is probably the worst of the range of outcomes. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of that media coverage. I mean, I've, I've already just been fed things on, on Twitter and Instagram, you know, about he's working out with McDavid, Dylan. Like, you see, he's working out with David. What does that mean, Dylan? Yeah. What does it mean that Medard's working out with McDavid? It means that they're both biosteel athletes because I'm pretty sure that was at a biosteel camp where biosteel just wanted to showcase <laughs> that they have signed all these people to drink whatever powdered drink they've created. Uh, yes, biosteel. Hey, biosteel, if, you, if you're listening, yeah. you know, you can you have the chance to sponsor the Connor McDavid and Connor Bedard of the podcast game. Of course, I am Connor Bedard because Dylan thinks that uh, I'm overrated. But... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know which one is which yeah um 
but yeah, no, it's, it is just one of those things where, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, you know, you talked about the unique travel kind of situation Seattle exists in and I don't know. It's just unfortunate that, that it feels like the Kraken might be stuck in this situation for a little while, right? Like that it would take like a Stanley cup birth before it's really like, okay, let's pay attention to what Ron Francis has going on there. I mean, even when the Kraken do big things, even when they have Maddie Beniers winning the Calder, right? As rookie of the year, rookie of the year on our team, on our first, you know, playing on the first line, it means something somewhere. <laughs> it means something everywhere else but Seattle. But playing on the first line, yep. winning the Calder, going to a game seven of round two, right? Matty Veneers could have, and if he was in a different market, would have been a massive league-wide story this year. And because he was in Seattle, he wasn't. And this is something all sports fans know. If you're a West Coast sports fan, you just know this is how it is. The time zones obviously play a big, massive role in this. People on the East Coast, just it's hard to stay up uh, till midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning watching these West Coast games. I get that. But it is just one of those kind of unfortunate realities that we're all going to have to deal with out here with the Kraken. But it also means, RJ, I guess, looking at it from our perspective, people have to come to us for cracking news. I guess that's okay. Nationally. Yeah, no, I mean. I, I, like, I obviously, I, Seattle's already coming yeah. to us, but I mean nationally. Yeah. No, that that's uh, that's a, a way to look at the bright side of it. Um, but yeah, no, it's I think the Kraken again, just like last season, they can force themselves to become a story. At yes. a certain point, you can't ignore what they're yeah. doing if they continue with that kind of success. And I think that's true for any NHL market. If you build a successful organization that that wins enough and and continues to force themselves into the conversation, there's no way the league can ignore you. Yeah, exactly. Well said. I think that's something worthy of leaving the podcast on. Uh, one more shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall. Again, everybody, mark your calendar September 13th for that big Mariners show up after the game, bringing the Trident, being bartenders for you. I mean, you literally can't ask for more as a sports fan. So definitely everybody go check that out at Queen Anne Beer Hall on September 13th. And uh, from RJ and I, we'll, we'll see you all next week for training camp storylines. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Brad, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Blight, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 